we faced a lot of this stuff. But this last weekend, uh, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning, we had a company of prophets, which I'm a part of, and uh, Janet Brand and oh, Henry uh, Motabang and Irma Simpson. They were here December last year. Remember the team of guys that we had? We had a conference this weekend, and hearing from prophetic apostolic voices in the States just speaking over this nation and speaking over us. There was a lady, Priscilla Wazara from uh, Zimbabwe that spoke yesterday morning. Outstanding, outstanding. And she said, this is, this is the thing for the ecclesia that in this hour. And she was saying how we need to align ourselves in the season, okay, to the purposes of what God is doing, not our own agendas, okay, align to something. Because the reality, if you don't align to the hope in Jesus, you're going to align to something else. It's like when we come here and you struggle to get into worship, it's because you've been worshiping something else. And you've got to try, you've got to align yourself. You know, it's, it's aligning yourselves with the purpose and the hope that we have in Jesus. But she says the strategy for the church in this season going forward is different from the past season. Okay, it's not same old, same old. I've been saying this for the last few weeks. It's, it looks the same, feels the same. It's not the same. It, it might be parts of it that look similar, but we're different. And the key in this season is how we rally to Him. Church, like I said last week, that doesn't rally to the maker and rallies to the leader and rallies to all the great things they need to do, what they need to do, and who they are as a people, that time is over. Okay? It's rallying to Him. He's the head of the church. And as we gather to Him in the Spirit, watch how He leads. I know that's been our heart here for years. And how God has just led us step by step by step by step along the way. And, I, and I've really been, you know, there, it was just so encouraging those last few days. The words these guys were speaking encouraged my heart about, you know, the John 15, with, where it says in the beginning on John 15, it says that he, um, you know, he, he tends, the, tends the vine and he, and, he, and he takes away the branches and prunes those that are not producing fruit. And he said that actually that reality of take away doesn't mean he cuts it off. If you read, and, he, and he, he said he argued with the guy that wrote the Passion Translation, but he knows the guy kind of personally as a friend. He says that word take away actually means to lift up, not to cut off. You always think, yeah, cut off the bad stuff, man. Throw it in the fire. Bad, no fruit. It's always heavy, 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 yeah? It's not Jesus lifts it up. And another word for pruning is cleansing. You know, there was encouraging things over us because we've all been questioned in the last 20 months about our fruitfulness in life and what's happening and what we're doing and for the kingdom and what's kind of playing out. And I was just really encouraged by these last uh, few days and stuff. So God is, God is on the move. There's yeah. good stuff happening, you know, in the midst of all this chaos. But what's really been kind of challenging me as a leader of this community and the team of people, you know, asking the question to you, who's your shepherd? Yes, we have our great shepherd that runs after the one he leaves the 99 behind we sang that this morning but you know we, we we live in a world today where things can particularly the last two years have shown you can you can receive from anywhere and everywhere yeah. and you need to decide in your heart where you land to be part of the flock and i know we're saying this it's the obvious over the last few weeks we're speaking about the body we're speaking about the family and stuff the body of christ is over over two, it's probably two and a half billion people around the world, probably more. Two and a half billion people make up the body of Christ. If only those two and a half million could work, to, two and a half billion could work together and see eye to eye. 
but the reality of how it plays out in these microcosms of the body, here is a small microcosm of the body, a whole part of the whole. One plus one makes one kind of stuff. That's the equation here. You know, and it's you settling your heart in and allowing to hear what the journey this community is going, because God's got a purpose and a mandate for the bay. He's got a purpose and mandate for Mountain View Baptist, my friend Kevin, down the road. He's got a purpose for Connect Church with Brad and John and the guys that are leading out one there. He's got a purpose for uh, Sikawa, the Methodist Church here in Musenberg. He's got mandates for each one to affect their communities and to see the people come alive in God. But what I found is people wonder. And just, yeah, a little yeah, a little there. Like, yeah, I think that maybe, you know. And actually you end up with nothing. So who's your shepherd? Who do, who do you want to help lead you? And I don't care what age you are either. You know, how does that work? How does that look in your life? Are you a free agent? That you dial in online and get words and stuff? Or are you coming on a journey with us? Of what God is doing here in this community? And we've got to reevaluate this. After these 20 months, we've got to reevaluate. We've got to ask those questions. We've got to see where we're at what God's doing in our hearts. And I might probably be preaching to the choir here, but Moses, in, in Numbers 10, he asks his father-in-law, Jethro, and he says to him, you know, Jethro, come with us, because we want to go to the promised land that God's shown. Jethro says, because he was in the land that he stayed in, and Moses came to him. He said, no, no, I'm happy to stay here in the land. And these were Moses' words to him. He said to him, come with us, and we will do you good. And I, and I want to say that over you, people listening, listening to this recording, come with us and we will do you good. Okay, I'm not being proud and say, hang with me, God has got a call on this place to do great and mighty things. And what we did years ago with the 42 Kamaloma radius around the city, we declared God's hope across the city of Cape Town, and He slowly caught giving us more and more understanding and that territory and how it works, not for our own agenda, so that the true gospel can be shared of how leadership works, how a church community draws to the presence of God, and not to the leader, and not to the fancy lights and cameras and all that kind of stuff. No, it's Him. And I know we carry something in this area. And that's how God, and I feel that, Come with us. Come with us, and we will do you good. You know, and there are two words I've been speaking on, and I'm glad guys are messaging me and talking like this. The two words I've spoken in the last few weeks is accountability and priority. Who are you accountable to? It's a tough question because it makes you think of your own position with stuff. Who are you accountable to? Yes, number one to Jesus but we're accountable to each other. Yeah. You see, the reality is in the Old Testament, when, when you had to present a sacrifice, and it was the Day of Atonement, and it was that annual time, you had to present something to the priest, and the priest would offer the sacrifice, you could not do that in your own farm and say, well, I'll just do it here, and present the ox or the sheep or something here, and that'll atone for it because you weren't a priest. You had no authority to do that. But you had to go to the priest and present it to him. So how does that look today? When you have to go and present yourself, who do you present yourself to? You know, when we offer our bodies now as a living sacrifice to the Almighty God, I, I think we have to present ourselves to the community and say, here we are. Almighty God, we present ourselves before you standing together. Not just on your own accord at home and I do my own thing. It's gathered together. 
in purpose of what God is doing with us. And we're going to keep pushing this home because I think for some people, they've got to break this little comfortable, I don't need church thing that's built into them over the last 20 months. I've got a few guys in my heart that I feel have hovered into that. And I'm hoping one message will just be like, hey, bro, where have you been? Dude, you've got to get over it. If you're still fearing COVID, you've got to get over it. Okay. And stuff. If you're still hovering at home, I bet you're going to work and going to the mall. Why don't you come to church? Okay. Come on. Because if you're not going to the mall, then check his delivery of working overtime to your house. And you might be working remotely, but then you're going to need to get a tan sometime and get out. It's springtime, boy, and the sun is shining. Come on. And that's what we've been speaking to. You know, the Bay, the Bay's had a very, we've had a, over the 28 years, 28 years we've been going, I'd say we've had a very relaxed approach to people and stuff. Now, some people take that as too relaxed because they want a little bit more like, tell us what to do and we will do it. It can be to our detriment, this relaxed approach, but I don't think it's relaxed I think it's freedom. It's liberty, actually. And I want to talk into that a little bit this morning because, you know, no one checks on you whether you arrive at church or not. No, one, no one's asking, actually. The, the point is the accountability. If you are linked to people, they will wonder where you are. If you're not here for six, seven weeks, and I know we haven't been meeting, so it's different, but we've been back here for a good four or five weeks now. And there's every possibility for people to attend. Who knows that you're not here? No one really checks. And I'm not saying we're going to. We don't check if you pay your tithes either. That happens in old traditional churches. I should go and visit you and collect, eh? Hey? That's how it worked, eh? So, well, Frank, the Dominis, yes, Hello, Pastor. Lekka to see you, man. And you pay, you pay your dues. Maybe I should start doing that. Huh? But I'll explain to you what that is. You see, what that is, it's, it's, it falls into another category, which is, Maybe then you think, oh, we don't do that here because we're very relaxed here. Remember guys saying to me years ago now, I just love the bay. I mean, it's so cool because we can just do what we want, you know. It's like we don't have to come. There's not like pressure to be here. I was like, mm, yeah, okay, all right. Maybe I'm a bit perturbed by your stance of like, it's okay, man. It's just cool. We just don't, you know, do our own thing. Really? Oh, because it hasn't been like that for me. I've been here for 28 years. I could probably count the number of times I've missed it when I didn't live in town or went other places or did. No, the, no. Uh, I didn't, and I didn't come because my folks were leading it. I, I, I just loved what God was doing and caught up in what God is doing. Didn't really even know that I would take over leadership with Kathleen. We didn't know this stuff. But God's order aligned as we walked into the years of stuff. And he's like, yo, bro, it's so cool, man. I was like, bro, tell me something. The church is a family. Okay, the church is also an army. Okay, it's like this weird both together, but you're also a bride. So let's take what you're saying to me and put it into that context. Okay, the church is a bride. If the bride doesn't arrive at the wedding day, okay, there's, there's a lot of commotion, hey? Okay, just that's one example. If you don't sign up and actually arrive for duty to defend your people, you are AWOL in the army. And there's discipline for guys like that, right? I haven't been to the army, but some of you that might went there. If you were AWOL, you did a lot of running afterwards, right? Come on, anyone there, Pat? You, I, I, don't, I don't know the army, but my dad tells me plenty of stories. Sergeant, you see that leaf on that tree over there? Yes, sir. Go and fetch that leaf. 
comes back, runs at 500 meters, comes back, he says, you brought the wrong leaf. Get the other one. They make you run. They make you sweat. But it's, that's not the point. That's, there's a side to that. It's about you are signed up for duty. You're here to defend. And the other reality is if you have a family and you have a big family gathering and you decide just not to pitch up, they're going to be like, hey, <laughs> but like we're all gathering. If, if, we just, if I didn't arrive and my mother had organized the lunch and we were all going to be together, she'd be like, where are you? No, I didn't feel like coming. What do you mean you didn't feel like coming? I can't say her food's not good because her food was always brilliant. Her apple pie was like off the charts. Shows. But, uh, but there's a responsibility there. There's an accountability because it's family. You see, this stuff is not on your terms, folks. And this, this tone of like, yeah, it's just that, that is an abuse of freedom. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit here this morning, okay? Now we work together because Jesus is still the head of the church. You know, the amazing thing, you know, Jesus never led a church. He didn't start a church. He started a movement. He started something that just he influenced a few people. And think about those few. Those, are they, they say there were maybe about 70 that watched him ascend. And then maybe there were 120 in the upper room. 120 people. 120 people have made sure that now billions understand who Christ is. Billions. From a small little remnant of people. He's still ruler. He's still head of the church. He's still asking of us in this season. Are you going to run with what I'm doing? Because what's coming, folks, I'm telling you, the unearthing on stuff on this world, that psalm that Kathleen read in the beginning is actually an end time psalm. That's speaking of the day he's going to arrive and set in order here. His justice will prevail. That's the hope we hope for. But his kingdom is still advancing now today. It's not doom and gloom like, oh, we give up. Oh, I don't know. We'll just wait for the end. Well, your reward's going to be less because you gave up. Keep pursuing. Keep trusting God and what he's got in your sphere of influence. Okay? And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk into these, I was saying these Acts 2.42. When it speaks about... They, they gathered together, they had the apostles' doctrine, the teaching, they had fellowship, they had breaking of bread, and they had prayer. I can't wait to get to the prayer one, because this is the reality of what God's got for us for this next season in the life of this church, that we're going to buy into, and He's going to show us what we do. But today I want to speak into that first thing. If we read, just read Acts 2.42. Sorry, let me go there, and uh, read it to you quickly. Uh, Acts 2.42. Now, the preempt to this is, remember, Paul preaching that message, and they were cut to the heart. They, they repented of their sinful ways, and he's speaking about the generations that we're speaking. And he says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, the kononia, meeting together, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I want to speak through those four things in that passage. Today, I'm just going to touch on one, the apostolic doctrine and apostolic teaching. Okay, now the reality in this world today, okay, there are so many voices that speak their doctrines, their teachings to you. If you have an internet, you are going to be bombarded with this stuff. Okay, some of it is deceitful. Some of it's wrong. Some of it is distraction from the main thing. 
There's a lot that we get bombarded by in the world today, okay? And unfortunately, you know, I grew up learning to trust people, you know, and I, and I have unfortunately been hurt by people that you could put trust in and you realized, yeah, no, they weren't trustful, okay? Listen to me. There are voices out there today that you can't trust. I've had to draw a line and a wall around me, not an outside wall, but there are certain voices I won't listen to. Because they, it's an opportunity for seeds to build into your heart, into your life. It's not kicking them out and doing what, but I don't, really don't need to listen to their voices. And there are hundreds and thousands and millions of voices. And you will get what you find. If you're looking for something, you will find somebody say it. And you go, yeah, see, someone says it. Doesn't, matter, doesn't make it true, though. Just because it's on the internet. Okay? Now, if you read Timothy... Timothy 1 and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy both speak into warning about false doctrines and false teachers. Okay, I want to touch on those both. I want to read both of those verses. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy speaks about the same stuff. He says, Now the Spirit, verse 1, the Spirit especially, expressly says in the later days, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Okay? Through the insincerity of lies whose conscience are seared. And that's a very powerful statement. When your conscience is seared, you don't have any conscience of what you're doing wrong. And you will fall into traps of what you say and what you speak. And there's the spirit in the later times. We are in the later times. Okay? It says here, who forbid marriage, who require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now I want to go to 2 Timothy 4. He speaks about a similar thing here in this next chapter. And he says, I charge you from verse 1, 2 Timothy 1, 4 verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachings to suit their own passions. You can find it, like I said, anywhere. If you want to hear something about it, you will find it. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths and old wives' tales, and all those things that they're talking about. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And he speaks about him being ready. He's fought, fought, the, fought the good fight, and he's ready to go and be with his maker. These are, these are letters that he wrote to Timothy. He was, his, his, he was, a, was a son of his, warning him, saying, be aware of these teachings, be aware of these people that will deceive when many things will come and say... Okay. When, when I say the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, what was that? What, what do you think they taught when they listened to these teachings that these guys had received by revelation, but also from Jesus who sat and spoke with them? What, what were they actually talking about? What teachings were they giving? I promise you it was not seven steps to become wealthy it wasn't nine steps to a fruitful lifestyle. 
It wasn't, it wasn't a, a DIY, make it happen for yourself. I promise you. When Paul writes in Acts, well, Luke writes Acts, but it speaks to what they were, Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus. He says this to them in Acts 20, verse 26. And he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of blood of all. He was under pressure. People didn't like him for the truth he was preaching. For I did not shrink from declaring to you, here it is, the whole counsel of God. That was the teaching. The whole counsel of God. Now what is the whole counsel of God? He has a list of things that you can put into that. It was studying theology. Theology is the study of God. Okay, it was the doctrine of humankind, understanding we were brought and lived on this earth in full glory. The fall came, man fell, Jesus came and restored it all back to us. That's the understanding of the whole counsel of God, the natural and supernatural living. This is the, the te- they were teaching them to live by the things of the Spirit. The person and the work of Christ would fall into this category. Salvation and learning to work out your salvation. You are being saved on this earth. These are all part of the, all the teachings, teachings on the Holy Spirit, teachings on the Word, the Logos, the Rhema Word of God, teaching about the, the, the Ecclesia, the church, our role that we play, speaking into the end times. Now that all is not going to just be on a weekend course you're going to do and you're going to get it. Okay, I've got a book this thick at home that Michael Eaton has put together about, it's called it The Purpose of God, The Whole Counsel of God. It's not weekend reading. It's a lifetime of studying and understanding the ways of the Lord. And these guys, through revelation, were given this understanding and teachings and doctrines and the theology of God and imparted it to others. That's the point of church. That's the point of gathering together. So we hear these teachings that encourage us. And we speak into our hearts and our lives, okay? To help us grow and we walk in the things of God. So when we say... The apostles' teaching or sound teaching or the apostles' doctrine, okay, Timothy's letter shows us that there were false teachings. There were definitely false doctrines being preached in those days. And now one of the biggest things they were dealing in the times of Galatia and in Timothy was that they were bringing additional things into the understanding of the gospel. So you can't eat this food, you can't do that, you need to be circumcised to be able to be saved. You know, you, you, you need to follow the laws of Moses. You need to do all these things were still being added and held onto, which was a false teaching. Okay? And Paul's letter to the Galatians is a key one with this, where he says, in, uh, in, and expresses it best about what he's saying. When he says in Galatians 5, verse, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, so he's playing on a few things there. Okay, you have freedom. From your freedom, live free. But don't get caught back in slavery, which is law, which is bound by things that are put on you to try and work out and to try and gain the salvation and gain your freedom in the things of Christ. Again, this might seem kindergarten to you, but these things are very subtle and how they come across, and how the church is led in this environment when it comes to freedom. Okay? See, chapter 3 in Galatians, Paul starts the chapter by saying, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? 
I mean, if we had a guest speaker come in here and say, Bay City Church, you foolish Musenbergers, who bewitched you? You're believing a false gospel. How would you react? He's like, hey, looking at me, hey, who's this? Who do you think he is? We always get out, but it's a question to ask, and I'm not saying it to you today, but he asked this question, you foolish, you are believing a gospel that's not true, because you're adding to stuff here. You're saying you've got to add to this reality, okay? This is the false teaching. They've fallen into works and the false doctrine relating to salvation. So if you think now, 2,000 years ago, okay, all these incredible apostles of God and the teachings that they did, every one of them was martyred except one, was John on the island of Patmos and he, and he passed away in old age. Everyone was martyred. Why? Because of their teachings. <laughs> because of what they believed and it opposed the system of the day. Jesus was the same. Religion will kill you. Now if we go 2,000 years on the journey, the church in the first 300 years kind of had it doing well. But after the 300 years with Constantine and kind of stuff, it was a slow, gradual decline. And the church incredibly didn't die. It's like there's always a remnant that holds on, that holds on. And there was a man in the 15th, now the years go by, 15th century, and there might have been others, I haven't gone in history to look at that, but a man by the name of John House was martyred in the early 1500s because he started saying, grace is the only thing that saves us. It's by grace that we are saved. And you're like, but that's so obvious today when we read in Galatians, it says, or, or Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you've been saved, not by works. Well, the Bible wasn't in English then. It was only in Greek and Hebrew, and not everyone could read it. So there was a good man a couple of years just after John House called William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English so that the predominant of people could read it. The 6th of October, this last week, we celebrated his martyrdom, his death, when he was burnt at the stake because he was called heresy. You can't translate this thing into English. He was killed for that. Wow. Hey? Now, these are slow steps of God restoring to us what was lost. Then not so long after that, maybe a good 30, 40 years after that, Martin Luther comes along and nails his it's 93 or 98 theses to the door in that church in... Where was it? Somewhere in Germany. And he proclaimed there the same thing that Tyndale and this John House guy was, we are saved by grace. That was his main kind of theme. But you know, Martin Luther didn't have the whole picture. Okay. It was slow steps of restoration for us. And, I, and I'm going to talk into this when I speak about, about replacement theology, where we, the church has replaced Israel. Martin Luther was a firm believer in that, and he hated the Jews. He hated the Jews. So his full restoration of understanding wasn't there yet. But God used him. And God used him to set about an order where we've just celebrated 500 years of the Reformation. Where God's reformed and reformed his people to understanding. So this truths of grace and his salvation comes through Jesus alone. Not works, not by paying penance, not by going doing all these things, slow restoration. Now we come closer to home, you talk in the last 40 years, 
the 80s was a real time through the charismatic movement in the late 60s, a restoration to the church. The, the, the prophetic gifting came alive in the 80s. The 90s, the late 80s, 90s, you started seeing the apostolic giftings just start operating in the church again. Guys, what a time to be alive. God is restoring in this hour to us. And what's happened when you set the apostolic and the prophetic in place, it's the foundation to what the church is built upon. Now the church has started to flourish in kingdom thinking. The church has started to flourish in the understanding of signs and wonders. All that God is doing, see how restoration takes place. But when you, when you go back 500 years ago and you listen to a man like John House, and you think like, but bro, that's obvious. You, can't, you read that in Ephesians 2. How could you miss that? Like, we are saved by grace and not by works so that no one can boast. It says that in the Bible. But what they restored and fought for, and being a reformer, here in these gardens this weekend, reformers see things that other people don't see. If you are seeing things in this hour that the other people around the world and the, the church in general don't see, you're a reformer. Because we are slowly in the whole process of God restoring to the church, watch signs and wonders start coming back in this time and this hour. The realities of that thing is becoming very real right now. You see? And it's a journey. What they fought for, what my folks fought for, and establishing a community here that honestly in the early days was a little bit mocked because of what we went after with the things of the Spirit. Yeah, oh, yeah, don't really preach down there. Yeah, don't, really? Okay? They pursued something that set a freedom in the life of the things of the Spirit. Many churches have turned back from the reality of the things of the Spirit, and they've become boring because they operate out of their cerebral mind and just preach from the mind and not from the place of the Spirit. And church is boring. It becomes religious. It becomes dutiful, not life giving to be in the presence of the Almighty God and encounter Him. And every time I encounter Him, I'm changed to be more like Him. There's a beautiful restoration that's taking place in these days. Absolutely incredible. Now, when we speak about the Apostles' Doctrine, okay, the moment your freedom is hampered, you need to question what that doctrine is. Okay, now I'm talking about freedom. For freedom from what? Freedom from what? What do you mean take away my freedom? I'm free, Okay. We're going to break this down a little bit. There's three roads that play out when it comes to understanding freedom and walking in the things of God. Your freedom is yours to have. You walk with that because of what Jesus has done for you. It's a very fine little line that walks, and there's two slopes that fall down on either side of this road of freedom. On this side here is the road or the slope of legalism and law, rules. And you kind of if you fall into that, you fall into the wrath of God again. Because He has brought you out of that through the power of Jesus. You are adding to that gospel by falling into law and legalism. The other side of the slope is a license to sin. And you just kind of want to go that way because the flesh is crying out for some desire to be answered and ratified here. And you fall into that you fall into where the wrath of God looks upon and cannot look on sin. Those are the, they're, they're your three options. Okay, now legalism is the enemy, is the enemy to your liberty. Okay, why I say that? Because our freedom has been given us through the work of the power of the Spirit. Okay, it says these words in, about Jesus. Jesus didn't come and abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Okay, when we speak about the law, the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, 
Okay? Many would say that that is the law. Actually, I heard a Jewish man say the other day on a call. He says, no, it's called the way. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago. Called the way. It says Jesus came in grace and truth. It says he defeated the law of sin and death. Now, legalism is living under the law. If you fall under the wrath of God, if you're on that side, and licenses when you walk in the flesh, you fall under the wrath of God. Because he's paid a price for both of those. And the line that we walk is the line of freedom. Now, I want to break these three down for you, and we're nearly done with this. These three things. Legalism, okay? The license that I have in my flesh to sin, but then the road of freedom and the road of liberty that I get to walk in. Okay, when, when Paul is writing to the Galatians, he's saying, okay, the need to them, okay, that they needed to be circumcised with in order to receive salvation. Now, that's very clear. That's adding a law to the requirements that Jesus has already paid for and met over and above. It was hampering their freedom. Okay? Okay, when you start adding rules and adding additional requirements to please and serve God, your freedom is being hampered. The fear is here. This is why, this is why people use rules. This is why people use, um, um, uh, well, it's rules and law to put in place because these are the fears that people have, especially as leaders, and this is particularly in the church. Okay, you might have rules, your boss at work and do those kind of things. There are rules on the road, all those kind of realities, but I'm speaking in the church now. This is where the church has failed miserably. Okay? We, the, the fear is here. Well, well people, people then just take advantage and if there aren't any rules. They'll just kind of start doing their own thing. Okay? Okay? Well, well, won't they become lawless then and just go ahead and do their own stuff? Maybe. Okay? Well, you see, we need rules to help ensure people don't just indulge themselves in the fleshly desires. We need to set things in place. No dancing, no drinking, no partying. You can't do those things, especially if you're in the band. There's no way you can do that. I'm watching you, Andy. I watch his life very closely, this guy. But we all know that, right? The church has done this. Right, eh? Doesn't that feel like it's hampering your freedom? Oh, that went quiet. Okay? Rules don't bring life. Okay? They bring a slow death. And what you do is you fall then into tradition, you fall into duty, and then you act. Hey, everyone, we're free. Morning, church. Hallelujah. We're free. And you're not. You're bound by rules. You're bound by laws. You're bound by all sorts of masks that you have up. And it's a farce. And you know why it's a slow death? Because you're acting. You're acting and you don't have the heart to tell people I'm failing. So you keep pretending. It's all fine. But it's not. That's law. That's legalism. It's death, folks. Death. And the scary thing here is that many churches portray freedom. But they're saying, but don't do that, eh? You can't do that, eh? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Yes, there's guidance and leadership. I get that. But the moment there's a rule or law placed over your freedom, it's in legalism. You've got to question that. Okay? And then license. The license to sin. <laughs> Reminds me of my mom. Year, I mean, talking years ago now. 
You know, we've had our struggles, family ups and downs. I think I was, my sister was still at school. I might have been still finishing school. And it just was a tough time, tough season. And I remember my mom's words were like, oh, Jeff, I just feel like sinning. Just feel like going away. I'm like. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then my sister piped up and said, well, why don't we go and visit that family of my friends? They're quite cool to hang with. <laughs> like a good suggestion, we could go to those guys and have quite a cool party because they're quite cool people, totally unsaved people. But she, just out of frustration, See, that's, there's a reality. The flesh does cry out. Okay? See, in the license, Paul refers to this as the works of the flesh. Okay? It's another form of slavery. Okay? It's hard to break free from this stuff. Okay? It's like I'm saying, it's like a slippery slope. If you get into a swamp or a dam with a slippery slope, and you're in the water, and you try and climb out, and it's slippery, you can't get out. It's very difficult. You need other people to help you out. Okay? He speaks in Galatians 5 about the works of the flesh. Works, plural, works of the flesh. He speaks about in Galatians 6 about restoring your brother gently and your sister. Restoring each other gently. Okay? In case, just be gentle. Be patient with people, but be careful that you don't fall into it as well. There's a lure. If the way people speak and the narratives in people's lives, oh, their whole hearts, it's very easy to get caught up. Yeah, I know, sure. It's difficult. And you kind of, that's being, don't get caught up in that. Don't fall into that narrative. Don't get caught up in thinking it's okay. But I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm allowed to do this stuff. This gender silliness. This ideas of abortion being okay. This racism craziness. Really? It's not okay. We've, we've licensed sin. It's like, it's fine. If there's one thing that I'm going to stand before God one day and stuff, is that if we tolerated sin in this community, I'll pay for it. We don't be, we don't be soft on sin. There's people here and they used to sit here and not one person, but a few that were in adulterous affairs and couldn't see their sin. And I'm trying to like, can you not see it? Well, really? They're not here anymore. Because they've chosen their own way. Okay? But it says restore them gently. We try. But if they choose to wallow in their sin, okay, this is what Paul says. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a cost that will pay out to them one day. I don't believe we lose our salvation. No. The inheritance that you will receive. I think part of it is, is for you on this earth that you get to walk in kingdom freedom and life. But you, when you wallow in your sin and you choose a sinful lifestyle over your freedom because the desires of your flesh shout louder and you mask it as, well, I'm free, I'm under grace, woe to you. Because you might, we might, I love Psalm 10. It speaks about, you know, these, the wicked that do all these things, they ask the question, well, where's God? He's not doing anything. It looks like I got away with that, eh? Yeah, what's he going to do now? He's very patient. He waits for his time. And I can guarantee you, you want to stick in sin and you want to walk in that road over and over again, your time will come. The Bible says, be careful, your sins will find you out. And now the church is seeing all these big mega churches and they're great people, but things are being exposed. That's playing out. Don't judge. Say thank you, Jesus, for bringing it to the light. Because his ecclesia is arising with purity. And justice and righteousness in their hearts. That's what's taking place. Okay? So don't wallow in it. Come back. Climb out of that slippery slope. Talk to someone. Don't try and fight it on your own. 
talk with people, help you come out of that. And then we come to that third thing of your liberty and your freedom. See, liberty is the freedom not to sin. <laughs> not the freedom. Paul says, you know, everything's permissible. You can do what you want, but it's not all beneficial. <laughs> I've seen many try the permissible route. Go and go and go and go. And then time goes by, time goes by. The light in their eyes have gone and they're dead. Yeah. And the desire for the things of God are gone. But yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And in your heart you go, but I know you're not. And the moment I breach this conversation and talk to you a little about it, you get defensive and start attacking me. I see that over and over and over with people. Deceived. Deceived by sin. Your freedom is the thing that is actually allowing you not to sin. Okay, we have the grace to say no. Okay, and now as we walk in our freedom, this is the power that we have, we walk in the spirit. Okay, now there were the works, the plural of the flesh, there is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit that operates in your life as you walk with the things of God. Okay, and this is how it plays out. Okay, you start walking, you start producing fruit. You start producing good stuff in your life because you walk in the things of God. Now, there are nine fruits, okay? And it's one, one Spirit with nine flavors, basically. It breaks up into three things here. Love, joy, and peace, okay? bring you in perfect harmony with God. You carry love, joy, peace in your heart. It sets you in harmony with the Almighty God and you, as you walk the road of freedom. Patience, kindness, and goodness bring you in harmony with other people, to each other, as we operate with these, this fruit in our hearts and lives, not to tolerate one another, but to love one another. In patience, kindness, and goodness. Then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control bring you in harmony and good relationship with yourself. You see, everything of the fruit of the Spirit is according to your walk and how you operate on this earth, and it produces, it produces, it produces. Okay, there are many works of the flesh, but there's one fruit of the Spirit that is flavors that work out in your heart and your life. And then actually, when you operate with those, people kind of actually want to be around you. They kind of are drawn to you. I guarantee you that. When you're, not, when you're not producing those things, people are not drawn to you. Because when you're walking in freedom, that's what's attractive. You're like, you guys, you guys, you guys just, you seem so free. I've had people say that to me. You just seem so unperturbed by stuff. I'm like, well, my hope's secure. You know, and the fruit in your life is attractive to people. In your workplaces, in your homes, and still, I promise you this stuff. And when the, uh, when the fruit starts being produced, it is, it is very limited, okay, by just your fruit. The point of adding to the fruit is your gifts. He's given you gifts. Gift of encouragement, gift of prophecy, gift of words of knowledge, gift of teaching, gift of um, pastoring. Those have been given to you so that when you operate with the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you can affect other people. And I've said it a million times here, your gift's not for you, it's for others to benefit from. And it's not limited to the four walls of the church. It's for where you go. Come on. David Pawson says these things, yeah. These, there are four steps into the church. Now those are the three things we've spoken about. Legalism, your um, license, and freedom and liberty. Those are the three choices that you have when you walk in the things of God. And David Pawson says there are four steps leading into the church. Now this will touch on to legalism is one of repentance, first step. 
Second step is that you believe. Romans 10, I confess with my mouth, believe with my heart that Jesus is Lord. Believe by faith. The third thing is that you're baptized. Submerged into water and you are now part of the body of Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. You're part of Him. Third step. Fourth step, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything added to that is legalism. Now, what you need to do, you see, if you go down, you add the rules. You add the laws on. You don't need to add anything. There it is. And as you go on the journey and you live your life for God and you learn about the full counsel of God, it builds into you. It builds into you. That's when we face these last 20 months. Yes, it's been challenging, but we're still standing. I've seen many falter in this time. Okay? So those three areas, legalism, your license, and a liberty that we have. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not go back into a bondage of slavery, trying to prove yourself, trying to form harder works that I'll be loved more, that the Lord will love me more. You're adding. And I want to finish off with this. I want to say that, and I know none of the elders are here today except Kathleen and myself, and they're zooming in. You could have got here this morning. Next year you cannot get here, all of you official people. Okay? <laughs> I want to say to you as a church community, okay, that if we as a leadership have in any way added a little bit of rule and legalism, we want to repent of that because it's hampering your freedom. And honestly, we often talk about this in our elders' meetings because people have opinions, they have things, and we have suggestions and this and all that kind of stuff. And we often talk, oh, you know, is it legalism or is it grace? You see, I fully trust that the Lord speaks to you and leads you and guides you in your spiritual walk. If I'm going to do anything to force you to be more or be better or whatever it might be, we are slipping into legalism. And it's so subtle there because it's still masked as freedom. And I know there are many, there are many, I promise you, a guy wearing tackies and jeans and a t-shirt and preaching at church doesn't mean you're free. Okay. Just because it looks free, it doesn't mean it is free. Freedom is when you have full, full responsibility for your spirituality and the things of God. Yes, part of a corporate community, but I fully trust, honestly, I fully trust that the Lord speaks to you. If I know and see, and I have with many, you're falling to sin and things happen, I promise you there's no judgment in my heart. Who am I to judge you? You need to make sure you get right with God, and you will know from us you're still loved. I've seen, I've seen some horrific things in people's lives. It's not the end. And if you are in that position, it's not the end. But we want to say to you as a leadership, if you've tasted of any legalism here, we repent of that. Because it's not adding to the gospel that's going to get us to do anything more for the things of God. But the license thing, you see, that's legalism. License is where you have to take responsibility. And it lies on you. Is that is a choice to make. You can keep wallowing in that sin. Or if you need help to get out of something, speak to someone. Bring it to the light. I've sat with so many people, and you can see the nerves, the the worry, and, of, uh, and then they just get it all out, and then there's, whew, because there's no judgment. Just get it out. Get it into the light. 
Okay, and I'm not going to be the only guy that's going to sit and talk to all of you. That's why we're a community. Hang with a brother or sister to talk things through. Don't wallow in sin. Do not give an excuse for your sin. But um, this is the way I am. It's just, it is the way, no. Okay, so this is where I've said to this a lot of times here too, is that your conscience will tell you. Okay, make every effort to walk away and say no. It's an everyday occurrence, this stuff. Every day. No, I choose not that. Your conscience, Lord, I get right, get right with God. I align myself to Him. Something I've thought about somebody. Something I've thought about, take them captive. Okay? That slippery slope, I promise you, will grip you. And what happens is your love grows cold. And your desire for the things of God become less. And what happens? Your heart hardens. And then the fruit of the Spirit slowly diminishes. And then you still say, I'm fine. But you're dead inside. I've, I've seen so many people who haven't seen for years. And you bump into them and you look into their eyes. There's no light. Not that they've lost their salvation. They're dead. Because the fruits of the Spirit are not producing in their heart and their life. You know what happens? People slip away. Their hearts grow cold. Their hearts harden. And then they think, you know what? I don't need to go to church. This last two years has answered that question many people. Many people said, I don't need the church. Really? Really? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, where you measure yourself by yourself and you think I'm doing okay. The point of coming here is that you measure yourself according to others in the community and you realize, oh, we're all on the same road yet. It's not all plain sailing. But we're moving forward together. That's the point of community. Okay, and now is not the time to be idle in the things of God and right, you need to be being right before Him. It's time to walk in freedom. See, walking in freedom is that you've got a clear conscience. Okay? You're confident in your position and your state before the Almighty God and you're assured of your purpose and your destiny in Him because you walk in freedom. And anybody that comes to steal your freedom, it's a false teaching. It's a false doctrine. So when we speak about the apostles' doctrine, it's this big whole council of God, but the key in it is that you're free. And if you're bound by any law, run. Get out of there. Because it'll give you a slow death. Amen. Let's stand together. And I want to just pray to this a little bit. There's that Ryder Cup golf clap again. Okay, I want you, I want, to, I want to pray over us as a community, but as a, as a, as a leadership, where you've, if you've tasted of legalism here, we repent, but I want you to be before the Lord this morning now, just take a few minutes, and say where you're stuck, and you're on a slippery slope with this license to do what you want, let's just close our eyes and just use a moment here, and take this moment for God to speak to us, and you come before God, you confess those things to Him. Don't just carry on saying, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Take the mask off, get real with yourself and the realities of what God is working in your heart and your life. And I know there's only a few of us here this morning, but the Lord is after us, man. He wants to do such great things through us. So Father, I thank you for every heart here this morning. I thank you, Lord. Well, firstly, I want to say, Lord, if we as a leadership have placed any legalism any law on these people's hearts, Father, we as a leadership repent before you and say we, we do not want to taint the true gospel. We do not want to taint the freedom.
that you have given each one through the power of Jesus and the price that you paid for each one of us. And I just speak over every heart now as you get before the Lord and things are coming up in your conscience and you're aware of things, thoughts, deeds, actions. Just present them to Him. Give them to Him. Say, God, I lay them before you. I do not want to wallow in sin. I do not want to take this grace you've given me as license to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Come running back to the place of His grace, the throne of His grace. And Lord, we as a community stand before you that say, we say we want to run for you. We don't want to be tainted by this reality of legalism and this license to fall into the fleshly desires. We want to walk in freedom. And I pray over every heart here that the fruit of the Spirit would produce more and more and more fruit. Because all you need to do is abide. And the fruit is a byproduct of that abiding in the vine. And I speak that of every heart here this morning, Jesus. And Lord, we want to thank you for our freedom that we have in you, Jesus. You've set us free from the law of sin and death. We are free to worship you. We are free to come before the throne of grace boldly because the access we now have for what you have given us, Jesus. We do not want to abuse our freedom. We walk with our lives wholly submitted and surrendered to you. In this season and era that the church is walking into, Father, we say, here I am, ready, willing, and available. I will not be idle in this season. I stand ready to serve you in my workplace, in my school, in my environment, in my family. I stand with the truth of the gospel in my heart. I hold that shield of faith. I take that sword, which is the word, and I speak these words of life over myself, and I live in freedom. And I thank you, Jesus, that you've paid it all for me. So now I stand and I believe because it is finished and it is done. You've paid it in full, and here we stand as your people, wholly devoted to you in all that we do, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we just commit everything to you. We commit these next few months of this year to you. And all that we're going to speak into is we come alive in the reality of who we are and walk in your ways. We bless you. We pray for the church over this nation of South Africa. We pray that freedom would be the thing that leads the church in South Africa. Not this mask of freedom bound in legalism. But thank you for our freedom that we have. We walk it in the power of Jesus' name. Come on. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, have a wonderful, wonderful day. And if you can get home past all the cyclists, all the best. And let's trust that Verstappen can beat Hamilton today in the Grand Prix. Those are the real issues of life, aren't they? Eh? <laughs> Be blessed, be blessed.